Welcome to Radio Beacon, the podcast of Beacon Communications. I'm Dan Kittredge, editor of the Cranston Herald, joined here on this Friday, October 23rd by Jake Morocco, editor of the Johnson Sunrise. Jake, what's going on? Oh, not much, Dan. How about you? Well, not much, but a lot at the same time. Uh, how about you? Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I think I'd agree with that assessment. It's, uh, it's Friday here, uh, kind of an overcast morning. Mm-hmm. Cooled down a little bit after those, uh, uh, I was touching nearly 80 the other day. It was like like uh, early summer, springish. Yeah, unseasonably now, warm. Yeah. But, uh, it's been a, another long week here. Um, we're now just, what, uh, nine, ten days? I think it now, is uh, seven, ten days now? No, 11. It's 11 days. Yeah, 11 days away. 11 11 days out from November the 3rd. Uh, lots and lots of people have already voted. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we're, we, you know, we're, that's been, uh, again, the focus, where, where my focus has been largely this week on uh, election coverage and uh, uh, preparing for, uh, for the 3rd. Um, I guess uh, looking at where to start here. Um, I'll put in another plug for the uh, citywide uh, Cranston uh, City Council Forum that we held on Monday, a Zoom uh, session um, that was streamed live, and it's available now to watch on uh, the Cranston Public Library's Facebook page and our Facebook page. Um, if you want to hear from the six candidates for Cranston City Council citywide seats, go check that out and check out our past interviews with them as well. Um, let's see. Uh, we're obviously, uh, the other big news this week, um, you know, we're climbing back up this, uh, COVID curve a little bit here as folks I'm sure know now the numbers are, uh, really not, not too good. Um, in recent days, a lot of them, um, I know in Cranston specifically, it kind of, uh, uh, two closures that, uh, a couple, a couple of few, a couple of positive cases resulted in, um, at, at these at stadium school, one case was identified in elementary school in Cranston, and then Twin Oaks announced that three of its employees had uh, tested positive. Twin Oaks, of course, the the landmark restaurant familiar to Rhode Islanders very well and to Cranstonians. Um, so that kind of I think uh, drove home just where we are that this crisis is nowhere over. That uh, as we're seeing nationally and here locally. Things are ramping back up a little bit, so uh, we'll be staying on top of that as well. But um, everyone, stay safe out there, please. You know, wear your wear your masks and, and follow the advice of health officials because uh, uh, these next few weeks and months here could get. Uh, you know, we remember what it was like in the spring, and um, hopefully, it doesn't get back to those depths of uh, kind of anxiety and. And shut down and stuff, but uh, it looks like uh, the the only I would say glimmer of, of any hope with those case numbers is that the hospitalizations seem like they're not skyrocketing just yet, <clears throat> which is which is good if uh, you know that that's not resulting in uh, kind of overflow and kind of uh, pressure on the on the hospital. So if there's any any glimmer of hope, at least at this point, that's nice to see, I guess. But no, yeah, otherwise. I think that's a really good point. I mean, I, I think. Uh, it's fair to say that um, 
uh, more is known about the virus at this point and that uh, probably the health care infrastructure is certainly a bit better positioned, better positioned to uh, to deal with this, um, you know, at this point versus the spring. So I know that's the point that the the governor has made uh, during her briefings. And um, so, yeah, no, I I hopefully uh, hopefully that continues to be the case and um, hospital capacity remains uh, or, or hospitalizations remain low and, um, and things, things, uh, improve here, but, um, turning back to, uh, to, uh, election season. Um, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm stumbling here today. This is where my brain's at. I'm in the fog, but, uh, oh, the other big thing from this week, I guess I'd mentioned, uh, from Cranston, I know Jake, you were following this saga as well. Um, there was obviously uh, folks are probably familiar with this um, moped crash that occurred on uh, Elmwood Avenue last uh, sat was it Sunday? And um, I believe so. It occurred right near the Providence line. There's there's some uh, question as to whether uh, a Providence police cruiser that was following um, the young man on this moped. Um, actually struck him or or what happened on the video I've seen and to my knowledge that's available doesn't conclusively show the the point of impact that would have happened or, or what those moments but um, anyway the this this 24 year old uh, who, who was um, on the moped is uh, was really critically injured um, and that's led to some uh, protests um, led to some uh, folks uh, questioning, you know, the response of police and the use of force in this, in this incident. Um, and I know a couple, last couple nights, um, on Wednesday, there was a, uh, a protest in Providence that moved up Elmwood Avenue right toward the Cranston line there, um, to the site of this crash. And, uh, I, I know I was, I've recently moved back to Cranston and I live a stone's throw from there. Um, and, uh, I started to hear a lot of sirens, you know, I knew there was a protest going on in, in Providence that night, but, uh, I was like, you know what, I should check out Twitter and see what's going on because the, the amount of sirens I was hearing was pretty, uh, you know, hard to miss. And, um, and, uh, lo and behold, there was this, this kind of standoff, the Cranston police had apparently, uh, blocked off Elmwood Ave, um, right there at the park intersection, um, to, uh, to prevent this protest from moving into Cranston. Um, so I ran down there. I was, uh, wow, that was, what, around 11 o'clock, I yeah, guess? Yeah, that, that was pretty late. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it was a wild scene. Um, I got there, you know, I got there after, I think, a lot of the, the there was some altercations between um, protesters and police I, I've followed you know some of the coverage I haven't gotten the full uh, scope apparently some pepper spray was used um, by police that you know from what I've seen I guess there was some maybe some folks were throwing bottles or projectiles at police I know some cruisers were damaged um, I'm still uh, I need to catch up with uh, the Cranston command staff to get their full accounting of what happened here but um, I know when I got there to the corner of Park and Elmwood, uh, traffic was shut down both ways on Elmwood. Um, 
there was it was down to one lane going through the on park and uh there were providence police cruisers warwick police cruisers cranston police cruisers filling the entire intersection um that gas station uh folks will know right across from the St. Matthew's church, the parking lot there was entirely filled with, um, with police vehicles. Lots of people looking on. I mean, it was, it was a weird scene because the actual action was happening, you know, several hundred yards, I think, or a couple hundred yards down, uh, down Elmwood. Um, and, and at night with all the police vehicles, and uh, the lights flashing, it was hard. You can get a pretty good line of sight down, down Elmwood uh, for quite a ways, but it, it was hard to see in the dark and, and with the, the lights and stuff. But um, anyway, it was a, a pretty pretty wild scene. And uh, I know there were a couple of uh, arrests that Cranston made. Again, my understanding is there was some damage to Cranston cruisers. And, um, you know, it, I know I saw... A, a, a group of officers walking back up Elmwood um, with the, you know, their riot shields at one point, protective gear. And they all kind of, they moved up and gathered around one of the cruisers and kind of were, were debriefing. You know, I heard the, the chatter I overheard from them seemed to suggest they had been targeted with uh, projectiles, bottles, whatever. Mm. Um, you know, there was a few people, uh, uh, passers-by that were, you know, clearly more on the uh, side of the protesters, you know, um, uh, you know, <laughs> various expressions of solidarity with them or anger toward the police. Hmm. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it's an interesting scene. And then uh, I know last night was a, a similar response unfolded even later. I think it was, I was kind of following it, um, tuned in a little late to what was happening on Twitter, but uh I know, I guess Cranston uh, brought a couple of DPW snow plow vehicles and used those to block Elmwood at one point. <clears throat> wow. So uh, I don't know. I, from what I've seen, it doesn't seem like I, I didn't go down there last night, but uh, it doesn't seem like what happened last night was uh, as intense. But we'll be watching to see if that continues. Um, certainly, um, you know, this is kind of a. You know, nationally and locally, we've seen this this year, um, protests, this this debate about the role of police in communities. And this also intersects here with this uh, kind of ongoing um, uh, issue of ATVs and mopeds and, you know, vehicles uh, that aren't really meant to be on the road um, in the way that they are. And, uh, you know, traveling in large groups often and this kind of stuff. So it's, it's kind of this intersection of a couple different things here. It seems to me, but uh, I'll certainly be following on this for next week. Um, and I just thought, you know, it was, it was a, an interesting experience this week. You know, <laughs> you rarely see that's, that's that kind of scene. You do not thankfully see too often in Cranston, that number of right. uh, the police in one place, that kind of response. And, uh, you know, as, as sir, I would mention too. You know, some some of the onlookers I overheard at the scene on Wednesday were uh, were definitely questioning the scope of that response, whether it was you know overkill, whether it was necessary, whether uh, you know it was even appropriate to be denying the protesters access to you know Cranston to begin with. Uh, but so it's it's certainly an interesting um, debate, and just hope everyone stays safe out there and. Uh, 
the temperatures cool down because I know in Providence too, you know, it's also intersecting with this kind of wave of, of violence. Um, and I don't want to overstate it, but there's, you know, been a lot of, uh, a, a good number of these incidents, um, shootings, stabbings, um, they seem to be happening with some, uh, some frequency here in the capital city. So, and for Cranston, I know Cranston residents because of the proximity, um, that certainly becomes, a something that gets on the radar. So, um, what's going on in your, in your neck of the woods, Jake? Uh, so I spoke with the uh, superintendent Lulo about the reopening. Things have been going pretty smoothly in Johnson thus far. Uh, no school has reported more than fewer than five cases overall since they reopened. Uh, I don't believe Brown Avenue is even on the sheets. I don't think they even have a case yet at Brown Avenue, which is obviously a good sign. Uh, among distance learners, those numbers are also very low. I think only Barnes and then Ferry and Johnson High School, Johnson Senior High School, have uh, recorded cases for distance learners. But uh, things have been going smoothly there. They're talking about uh, they're hopping on a state order for these things called HEPA filters, which I believe stands for High Efficiency Particulate Air Filters, which yeah. uh, are supposed to help during the winter when obviously you can't have the windows open when it's 30, 25, 20 degrees outside. So uh, that, that, that proves to be... Uh, a perilous decision <laughs> so uh yeah so instead they're going to uh get these HEPA filters which uh he said they're difficult to get but with everybody on one order it should be easier for the state to uh, or at least on this one big order in in question should be easier for the state to to get something together uh on the political side i did a couple profiles this week i spoke to Stephen taco he is an independent candidate for the District 22 seat that is currently held by Stephen Archibald. He's being challenged by Taco and by Paul Santucci, who is the Republican candidate for the seat. Um, Taco did not mince words about Archibald. He's not a fan. Uh, just go read the story. You'll probably get the gist of it. But uh, he said that you know Archibald is building a war chest and uh, you know, is holding, criticized him for holding fundraisers during the pandemic. Um, to Archambault's credit, the fundraiser they did recently in August, it was a cookout, it was socially distanced, they had all the protocols in place, um, but Taco was was, uh, was critical of him, and uh, he wants to see more action at the State House regarding the pandemic, and he wants to see, obviously maybe not in person, because that, that that's still a little difficult with how the virus spreads, but he does want them to see, wants to see them do more, uh, especially since the governor has done so much in her stead, while uh, the, the state house has kind of, you know, not been in session and kind of doing things here and there and pushing the budget along. So, um, he was critical of that. So go check out that, that interview. And then I talked to Bob Savetti, who is running for his, I believe his third term now for district five on the council. Uh, we had a nice chat about kind of what makes district five a little bit unique. And he pointed out that, uh, really it's kind of the rural nature of district five and how they don't want things to kind of change all that much zoning wise, at least, um, and he said that he's comfortable if people are allowed to build residential properties with what they have now, that's fine. But um, he referenced, or actually I brought up a, a case that happened earlier this year, I think it was June, uh, Joe Sicarci was representing a couple of people who wanted to change their zoning to allow for, I think, double the amount of houses to be built on the property. And Savetti was steadfast against that. And uh, it, they wanted to continue it. It did not get continued. It was pulled, and I don't think it's been before the council since. So uh, we had a chat about what uh, what he's got potentially in store for another term if he's uh, re-elected. And uh, next week I'll be doing some some kind of wrap-up stories uh, with District 42, District 43 house races because um, those are kind of the big ones between uh, Rhett Falella and Nick Grosso. And then on the 
District 42 side, the vacant Steve Ucci seat between Frank Ricci and uh, Ed Cardillos. So be on the lookout for those next week. But uh, yeah, so it's been so catching up in the Johnson political landscape this week. I uh, got a couple of those profiles out there to go check out. Right on. Yeah, I, I kind of we only, one only one addition for us before the election, which is kind of uh, kind of crazy. But um, yeah. yep, yes, sir. I should mention there'll be another District Five Council wrap up story next week as well. So uh, be on the lookout for for those ones. Indeed. Well, I guess that serves as a good uh, pivot point to um, our interviews for this week. Uh, I had a chance to sit down yesterday with uh, with a couple different folks. First, uh, the first uh, guests I had and that I think we'll include with uh, this particular episode were uh, Bob and Marianne Lancia. Um, Bob Lancia, familiar to... Um, Cranstonians and uh, and others across state, former House District 16 uh, representative, uh, lost that seat two years ago to Chris Millay, who in turn this year lost his primary to Brandon Potter. Um, now, uh, former Rep. Lancia is challenging Democratic Congressman Jim Langevin for his seat. Um, Certainly an uphill climb. Jim Lingevin has been there for a while. This is obviously a blue state, but uh, Bob, uh, Bob, I know, and you know this. Jake works uh, works hard. He's everywhere. Um, you know, ever since he, uh, I've been covering him since uh, his first run for for office uh, a few years ago, and um, he 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 certainly pounds the pavement. So um, he came in, and uh, the other wrinkle to this. Bob's wife, Marianne, uh, she is now the candidate, the Republican candidate to uh, to uh, in in House District 16 that her husband formerly held. So she's facing off against Brandon Potter, um, who is uh, um, part of this uh, you know progressive wave of uh, of candidates this year. Several of whom were successful in the primaries and unseated uh, more establishment or moderate. Um, Incumbents, so we've we've got quite a contrast in that in that local Cranston House race. I know the the District 15 race between the Speaker and Barbara Ann Fenton Fung uh, gets a lot of the attention, but this one is a really interesting um, race as well between Marianne Lancia and Brandon Potter. But uh, uh, Bob and Marianne were good enough to come in yesterday morning. We sat down for a uh, 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 good I don't know I think it was like 45 minutes and. Uh, talked about their respective campaigns and how it is, you know, what it's been like for them to campaign as a couple for the first time, each candidates and, uh, and what they see ahead and, and, uh, the case they're making to voters. So check that out. Uh, we'll go to that in a minute. And, um, the other, uh, yesterday I'll plug to, um, Steve Frias, Cranston, uh, local historian. He's a Republican national committeeman for the state. He recently chaired Cranston's uh, Charter Review Commission. He came in and uh, was really generous with his time. I thought he'd be great to have him because uh, he's just such a, he's got such a great historical knowledge of Cranston. Um, he's really enmeshed in its politics. Um, so he, we, uh, we spent much of our, our time talking, just, you know, getting his thoughts on the races, what he sees as the, uh, the things to watch going into November 3rd where he thinks some of these contests are. Um, 
and I thought he, you know, he's he's got uh, good insights as always, and, and it's fun to to chat with and listen to. Um, and I'd note that uh, we devoted a little bit of our conversation as well to discussing the four uh, proposed amendments to Cranston's charter that are going before voters this year, based on the work of the commission that Steve chaired. So he makes a little pitch for those, and I'd note. Just in the interest of uh, disclosure, the Herald, as folks know, or readers would know, we uh, recently did, or this week we did editorialize, last week we editorialized in favor of those amendments. But uh, anyway, so check back. Uh, we'll we'll uh, go live with this uh, this episode with the Lancias first, and then uh, you can check back to find my uh, discussion with Steve Frias. But uh, to wrap up, Jake, I mean, we haven't done a little... Uh, I've done an entertainment uh, plug in a while. What, what, what do you got? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, kind of thinking over, not a lot coming out. Uh, I did, uh, I guess I'll, I'll plug, I watched the second volume of the new Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. Uh, pretty good. There were some good ones in there. Um, I still think the the first volume was a little bit more gripping overall, but the second volume is also very good. There's a lot of, a lot of good stories in there, and uh, hopefully a lot of cases they get solved uh, down the line. But uh, also, I know on a more personal note, we got. Um, oh man, I just forgot. Oh well, no, I, I actually forgot what I was going to say on, on a second personal. I've been listening to a lot of new music uh, recently. Mm. Uh, new album by a band called uh, Seaway is out. I like it a lot. It's kind of like a pop punk album. Really good stuff if you're into that kind of thing. But uh, I, I recommend uh, go go dive into some new music this weekend if you're uh, if you're feeling feeling just like relaxing. That's overcast today. Not not, not really. Uh, it's kind of a gloomy day. So. It's always a good chance to dive into some new music. I know, I know, I'm not Mister Eighty Thousand Minutes listening over here, Dan Kittredge, but I, I do get my my music in. Yeah, I let the I let the algorithm be my guide. <laughs> Although lately, I've been uh, lately I've been in all in all my media consumption, I've kind of been going to comfort stuff. Like mm. I put on the uh, my uh, the Spotify has this on repeat playlist that'll just feed you. Oh the yeah, song. yeah. But, uh, there's, there's yeah. a new playlist on a called Time Capsule. I don't know if you've listened to that one. It's it kind of like wraps up your like music you haven't listened to in a while, but that you used to be really into. So I've been uh, I think it updates it every week. So I've been listening to that when it comes across my feed. Uh, but it's cool to dive back into stuff that you know I used to be obsessed with, and I played it into the ground, and now I want to listen to it again. So it's cool. I like it. I like that new feature. Spotify, go check them out. <laughs> Sponsor. <laughs> Get us on there. Yeah. Hey, maybe someday. We'll give us that. Give us that Joe Rogan hundred million. <laughs> hey, Spotify. Uh, you can find our podcast on Spotify. That's right. So thank you. As a bunch of other places. Indeed, Apple Podcasts, Anchor. I don't even remember the others. Oh, I Google should. Podcasts, Pocket Casts, all those, all the ones that, all the ones that are fit to print, for yeah. the most part. Radio Beacon. Oh, and I'd uh, make a note, too. Uh, if you didn't listen to it earlier this week, I did a, a put out a special episode of my discussion with uh, Cranston Superintendent Janine Nata Massey, a return guest. She was very gracious to have me in on, uh, on uh, Monday for a discussion about uh, the school bond question in Cranston, about the reopening process. Um, so go check that out. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have anything else. Uh, I've been watching a lot of Law and Order reruns, in the in the comfort consumption uh, right. vein. There, you know, hey, not we, a lot. We all need our comfort consumption, indeed. It requires just the right amount of of brain power and attention. Yes. When I go home and hit the couch, so 
That is correct. <laughs> yes. Well, with that, Jake, it's really good to catch up. Yes. And uh, as I mentioned, I think on one of these special things that I did, you know, it's after the uh, after the craziness of this election. Hopefully, we can get into the uh, the weekly routine again, and you know, we'll get back to uh, you know, it's been. Uh, uh, fun pumping these out, but mm. uh, be good about to get back into the rhythm anyway. For sure. With that, thank you uh, very much, sir. Uh, thanks to all for listening. We'll go now to uh, my conversation with Bob and Marianne Lancia. Check back later for my conversation with Steve Fryas. Have a great uh, weekend, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Of course. Um, to start off, I get, for folks that uh, um, are just for background, Bob, you're obviously running in the 2nd Congressional District this year against longtime incumbent Jim Langevin. And Marianne, you are the Republican candidate in House District 16 in Cranston, currently held by Chris Millay, but you'll be facing Brandon Potter in November, who uh, upset the incumbent in the primary. Uh, to start off, can you both... Tell me a little bit about why you got into the race this year, What, uh, why, why you chose to seek these seats. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll start. Um, basically, uh, I just saw it as a natural progression. Um, I've been involved uh, with politics since I got out of the Navy back in uh, 04, ran for the first time in 06, won a few, lost a few, but was the first Republican to be elected in District 16 in over 30 years and the first Republican to be reelected in District 16. Uh, over, over 30 years. And uh, we knew at some point we were going to probably run for higher office. And uh, this uh, opportunity presented itself. And it, this is such an odd year for so many reasons. Um, it, was, it was time to, uh, to really go to the next level. So, yeah. Marianne, what, what led you to? Well, I was actually asked by the uh, <clears throat> Republican Party to That's be right. the to be the runner based on the fact that I was pretty well informed with that district and what goes on at the State House because I was so involved with Bob when he had the position. Yeah. And uh, I think it all comes down to we want to work for the people, not ourselves. Yeah. What's so. it been? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was just saying I was. Uh, employed by the state of Rhode Island for 39 years as a special investigator, revenue officer, special investigator for the sales tax division, and retired, and uh, just haven't learned how to retire yet. Yeah. <laughs> Still working. <laughs> Basically, uh, just doing what I got to do for the people. Mm. What's it, what's it been like for the two of you? I know you've, you've campaigned, obviously, in the past together quite a bit, but this is the first time both of you being candidates. How's, how's that experience been? 
Uh, I think uh, it, we've been very well received, and uh, I think people like the fact that we're both running, mm. and uh, the support has been great. And you see our signs, of course, they're side by side all over the city of Cranston, and uh, we've been getting uh, support, uh, financial support, uh, you know, physical support with people helping, going door to door, as well as people, you know, saying, "Hey, I want to sign, put it on my lawn. If there's anything I can do." And uh, so the response has been really excellent, excellent. Yeah. And it's really a lot of enthusiasm and excitement over our two candidacies. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, the same, the same. Uh, mm -hmm. um, to turn, I guess, to your specific races, Bob, I know you, you, as we mentioned, taking on Jim Landrin, you've been very critical of him in this race. You've kind of been framing this as uh, a, a battle of socialism and capitalism this year, um, yes. I guess, across the spectrum politically. Yes. Um, you know, I guess, can you talk about your, go into a little bit more depth, I guess, about what you see as the issues with the incumbent and then also what you're looking to bring, what kind of your, your top priorities would be if you were elected? Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, this is probably, people have said this, this is probably the most seminal election since the election of 1864 with uh, Abraham Lincoln. Had Abraham Lincoln lost, the South would have been allowed to secede and slavery would have been allowed to continue. Well, this election is, 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 uh, is, is a seminal election as well because we're at a tipping point. Are we gonna stay as a capitalist, freedom-loving society or are we gonna go down the road of socialism? And socialism that leads ultimately to a situation like we see in Venezuela. I mean, a proud capitalist country that now is just a disaster. And uh, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party has been taking over the party. And, uh, and it's alarming, it's alarming. And, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders had a proposal, uh, if he had won, a proposal of giving away, you know, this, that, and the other. I mean, to the point of the cost of being $40 trillion. I mean, the number is unfathomable. And uh, Mr. Biden, who's currently running, he's the, 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 uh, the candidate now, his proposal is still outrageous, $10 trillion. I mean, we're $26 trillion in the hole. We just spent $3 trillion in the pandemic, and uh, they want to spend, what, another two, three more? I mean, our children, our grandchildren, somebody's going to have to pay for this. And I'm really worried about the direction of this country. And uh, so, you know, that's probably the biggest reason why I was running, because this is such a critical election. But the other part of it, too, is I have been critical of Mr. Landrian for one specific reason. In his commercially ran against uh, Dylan Conley when he was running in the primary, and even now I've been on two Zoom events with him, a uh, Richmond Town last night in North Quinta. He talks about bringing $1.25 billion into Rhode Island to help small businesses and da 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 da. -da. The money is still in the governor's hands, and you saw the my not my 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 party, our party, the Republican Party, right now, just put out uh, I think a press release yesterday saying only 24% of the money has been spent. 24%. Other states have spent practically the entire amount. And Senator Reid has disappointed me too because Senator Reid said to the governor, hold on to the money and use it to fill a budget hole. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was small businesses, first responders, and schools. And that is heartbreaking to me. People are suffering. And uh, in Mr. Langevin, if he says it one more time, I think I'm going to you know, scream. You know, oh, I brought in one point to help. I'm fighting for small businesses. No, you're not. Because otherwise, you tell the governor, release that money. And my wife and I go around, we're talking to small businesses all the time, and it is sad. Mm -hmm. And uh, even, even now the hotels, 
The same here in Providence. Half the hotels will go out of business by 2021. Uh, we need to do something dramatic. And certainly letting the governor hold on to the money, and I know Marianne would agree with me, you might want to talk a little bit about this, but a bloated, out-of-control state budget. You know I fought so hard for so many issues, right? Mm -hmm. Balanced budget, voter initiative, line item veto, and the most importantly, an inspector general uh, to root out waste, fraud, and abuse. Because they say, oh, we don't have enough money. No, you've got plenty of money. It's just how you're spending it. So, Mary Angie, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Uh, basically, no. I'm covering what you, what you just said, basically. Yeah, I mean, I know. What, uh, I guess pivot a little bit. What, what's your thoughts on how the governor has handled this whole pandemic to date? Um, you know, obviously, uh, I guess there are a couple components of that. You know, do you favor more aid from the federal level at this point? There's discussions about that. And, and what do you see as the role of the assembly or where they've been lacking possibly too in this uh, Mary, response? Have, uh, uh, they haven't. The assembly hasn't been working mm -hmm. since March, except for all the people that Governor Gina has uh, in place at the state house. All the workers there that have nothing to do, mm -hmm. except cover her podcasts or whatever she does. And uh, I think they really need to be up there and uh, working on the budget and pushing her to get the money out to these small businesses or they're not going to be collecting any sales tax so sales tax will be as it has been for the past what five six months now so so you, you would favor them uh, getting back in session and taking a more active role in uh, oh yeah uh, Bob, do you, are you, and there are these talks still ongoing after months? Yeah, to, yeah, know. no, that's an excellent question, Dan. Uh, the thing is here, when they talk about bringing more money to Rhode Island, uh, that's all well and good as long as the money that they bring to Rhode Island is given to individuals, businesses, first responders, schools, <coughs> not held, you know, in the governor's hands to balance, again, an out-of-control, bloated state budget. So... We, we've already given, we've been given 1.25 billion. We haven't used that money and now they want more. But, you know, we talk about red states versus blue states. And, you know, you look at it, red states have done a lot better job than blue states, red states, Republican, blue states, Democrat, in managing their budgets. And the blue states are looking for the federal government. And this is why the stimulus bills, a targeted stimulus bill, I'm totally in favor of. Again, goes to people, first responders, schools but not one that's gonna bail out cities and states that have done such a poor job of managing their budgets over the years. And Rhode Island's an example of that. Um, I was screaming at the time, you've heard me say this a hundred times, when we compare our budget to the other states around us, we're out of control. There's no way a state this size should have an, a $10 billion budget. And the federal government has been overspending at the rate of 18% a year, 18% more than they bring in. Guess what they proposed this year for this budget? An 18% increase. So now we're, we're, we're growing at the rate of the federal government, overspending at the rate of the federal government. This cannot be continued. And my stepdaughter, my wife's daughter, she uh, is a uh, contractor in a hair salon. So, you know, they go in and they inspect to see if everything's all right. They got an A rating the first time. Guess what? The second time they didn't get an A rating. And you know why? Because my stepdaughter wasn't paying or needs to pay a $170 fee per year to 
get a license or, or approval that she's acting as a contractor within her business. $170 a year. I mean, if they can't tax you, they regulate you. If they can't regulate you, they fee you to death. This has got to stop. This has got to stop. There's no reason anybody has to pay $170 because they're a contractor. So the state, what? You can say, oh, you're a contractor? It's ludicrous. Uh, it's, it's out of control, really. So that's my concern. Yeah. yeah. Uh, looking back to the state level, I know, Bob, you've talked about the leftward, what you see as the leftward move of the Democratic Party. Oh, yeah. Nationally, yeah. obviously, Marianne, locally, you're facing an opponent who's part of this, um, you know, a number of progressive candidates in the Democratic Party, folks associated with this Rhode Island political cooperative, including Brandon Potter, um, were successful in their primary bids and uh, have a chance to, to make a real impact in the, the, at the state house. What are you seeing as the, you know, the, the appetite among voters? I guess, what, what's your feel for where the district is and if it's receptive to that kind well, of I message? Think, I think our district, District 16, is a little more to the right than the left, but uh, with all of the news media and everything that they've got out there, blah, 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 that older people listen to, who knows if it's not sinking into their heads that they should go to the left, you know, instead of staying where they are. But uh, Brandon Potter is, um, I don't think, the guy to represent District 16 in Cranston. I really don't. I don't think he's working for the people. Yeah. What were your thoughts on uh, Chris Millay's performance in office? I know it's just been, you know. Well, he was, uh, he wasn't only a representative, he worked as a part-time lawyer in the office, and I don't think he accomplished much. In terms of policy, you know, if you're elected, are there particular, is there a particular priority aside from pushing, you know, fiscal responsibility, getting the assembly back? In session, um, are there particular policy goals you have? Well, I definitely think that this state needs to have an, a person that's overlooking the spending that's going on, not be affiliated with the state, be an independent, whatever, and see how they're spending the money and what needs to be eliminated spending. And, uh, just keep and, and not to, and not to, just to jump in, but you know, we spent a lot of time with the various ethnic communities. And how much time have we spent recently with the black community in Providence? I did that series of Balling with Bob mm -hmm. uh, events in Providence. Yeah. And what are they talking? What are the things they're talking to us about? Using basketball as a conduit. Uh, it's not about basketball. It's about helping kids dealing stay with... Stay off the streets. Yeah, stay off the streets. Dealing drugs. with drugs, uh, broken families, uh, alcohol... And most of all, I think we both agree on this, need for educational opportunity. Mm -hmm. These kids are in failing schools. And I know it's a high priority for me. I know it's for Marianne, too. We visited all these different uh, schools. We've talked to these kids. We've talked to these families. They want nothing more than a quality education for their kids. 25 years Central Falls has been under state control. And the proficiency rate in math and English is 8 and 10%. Providence has been a study in failure for 30 years. And their proficiency is 8 and 10%. Now the state's taking them over, looking at what's going on in Central Falls. I just don't see what's going to be different in Providence that's been different in Central Falls. We, we, need, more, uh, we need more opportunities. We need uh, different models to help kids be successful. And I was asked a question this morning. Miriam was watching me on the Zoom call. And they were asking about uh, 
economic inequality, how would you change it? I said, number one, absolutely, education. I mean, if a child is not getting a quality education, how is this child going to succeed in this world? So I think that's number one. So I think that's an initiative. I think both of us are going to be very involved in on national and on the state level. Yeah. Yeah. To go hyper local for a minute, are, are you, um, are you, where do you both stand on the, uh, the $147 million school bond in Cranston? Uh, any, any thoughts on that proposal? Hadn't, I hadn't really uh, given it no. much thought. No, I'll, yeah. I'll leave it at the local level. Yeah. Um, you know, let, they'll do what they need to do, but certainly, uh, I think um, one of the things that is a concern to all of us is, is having schools that uh, that you know that that are work for kids. Mm -hmm. And and uh, now we're talking about all these ventilation systems that needed the upgrades and things. And now here in Warwick, where we are right now in your office, there's challenges with the schools here in Warwick as far as. And I saw the same thing because I was part of the group with the speaker. We visited a lot of the different schools, mm -hmm. and they were in such disrepair. But that speaks to decades of, of, of you know not doing anything uh, to, to you know upgrade uh, upgrade our schools and now it's time to pay the piper so yeah. there is an element of that as well you know we want to certainly take care of our kids yeah. to, to dovetail off that obviously we're, we're seeing some trends in the, the coronavirus numbers here locally and nationally that are that are troubling we're kind of heading back up the curve it seems what are your thoughts on the reopening process not just schools I guess you know across the broader economy or you know if we get to that point are you supportive of um, you know pulling back from from uh, this phase that we're in you know I guess kind of what are your thoughts generally on how how the state should proceed well I think uh, they've got to listen to a lot of the scientists out there that have been doing this for years and are working their butts off to the heck's going on trying to figure stuff out you know and use uh, some of their ideas instead of coming up with their own when they have not a thought on I don't know actually it's hard to say yeah. well I think one thing we both agree on is um, I can't see us going back a phase Mm -hmm. um, we need to go forward mm -hmm. and you know so they're talking about social distancing they're talking about washing your hands they're talking about these kind of things but interestingly the infection rates in schools and even looking at these amusement parks and things like the Disney in Florida they're not seeing an appreciable increase in coronavirus cases mm -hmm. uh, and the schools it's going very well I think so far uh, and uh, so you know, but I think it's important to, you know, to do those three things, the mask, you know, social distancing and hand washing, those who can work remote, work remote, but we certainly can't go back. We've got to go forward. This economy cannot take another hit. And that's one of the concerns I have with uh, Joe Biden, you know, running for president. He's talking about shutting things down again. Now we're seeing that in Europe right now, but um, I, Sweden did not follow that model. In fact, even North, North uh, excuse me, South Dakota, uh, the governor there, Republican governor, Christy Nome, didn't follow it, and they're doing very well. In fact, she said to President uh, President Trump, "We don't need any more PPP money." Mm -hmm. So I thought that was, you know, that was interesting. So there's more study to be done. I think Marianne's right. You know, the the, the people that are doing this, the scientists and, and the professionals are looking at this stuff. I think uh, I think there's still, you know, some possible other ways to go, mm -hmm. but um, we can't go back. No, yep, we need to go forward, and uh, hopefully, again, that uh, you know, there's some trepidation, and I have some myself about the vaccine, of course, 
Now I think one one company is fast tracking it, right? Unless it's Pfizer, mm. but you know uh, maybe that's you know that'll be something that hopefully you know can help us too. Yeah, that's definitely hope there's some sort of therapeutic. Yeah, or, yeah, they're talking about maybe by Thanksgiving having having it ready with a with I guess an, a you know some type of a, a, a an emergency authorization. Yeah. So I I, I yeah, but but we've got to do something quickly because Marion's right, the sales tax and all the other fees that the governments, I don't care whether it's the federal or state, they're looking to the federal government for bailouts, but <laughs> the federal government's only got so much money too. And you get to the point where you start just printing money, which is the Fed's doing right now, pretty soon it's going to take, what, a wheelbarrow full of money to go buy a loaf of bread if you can find and one. where does you know? get it? From exactly. the pockets. <laughs> Ultimately, it does come back to the taxpayer in one form or another. So oh, yeah. that's the fear. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned the president, Bob, in your in your last response, and you know you're a candidate for for federal office. This is something I've asked too of uh, you know the candidates for mayor, um, you know folks running for the assembly as well, because you know fair or not, uh, people are um, certainly I think given how polarized things are and how how much attention is on this presidential race, some voters are taking that into consideration when they make mm -hmm. decisions down ballot. Yeah. You you're a, a a vocal supporter of the president. Um, have you gotten any backlash right on the trail? What it, I know this, you know. Well, uh, l let me be clear. Um, I, I'm a vocal supporter of the president in terms of when people ask me who I'm supporting. Mm -hmm. I say in this election, Trump versus Biden, I have to go with the president. Uh, you know, and, and in fact, uh, I, 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 um, I'm a libertarian Republican myself, more of a Rand Paul guy. But Rand Paul's not running. Trump is. And so, again, in a seminal election, when we're talking about going down the road of socialism versus going down the road of capitalism, or staying on the road of capitalism, I have to side with the candidate that's going down that road. And Mr. Biden is not that candidate. And I'm fearful of what happens to this country. So for those reasons, I am supporting the president. But again, I am the, I'm the fact I'm the vice chair of the Rhode Island Republican Libertarian Caucus. So it's not that I'm, uh, uh, I think, uh, Patrick Anderson from the Germans. Oh, he's an unabashed supporter of President Trump. No, I'm not an unabashed supporter of President Trump. I, like everybody else, don't like a lot of what he says and a lot of what he does. But in the last analysis, if you're going to give me a choice between these two candidates, and, and you know, I'm going to have to side on the side of Trump versus Biden. Yeah. Marianne, are you hearing, uh, you know, what's your kind of take on that? <clears throat> well, I'm definitely going for Trump. Yeah. Uh, he's not a politician. He's a businessman who's done well for himself and he's continuing to do well for this country no matter what the news media wants you to think. He's doing stuff back in January when he shut down the border and not letting people from China in here. What did they say? They told him he was wrong about it. There's nothing wrong about blah, blah, blah. But he did. He stopped them from coming in. Um, are you hearing a lot from voters you speak with? Are they asking you about it, or they, you know, is it not, that, a, that, not so much? No, they don't say too much about yeah. that. No, I'd be more the big mouth about that than they would be. <laughs> <laughs> to, uh, to, to stay on politics and turn it a little bit, uh, you know, more local again. Uh, this is in, in the neighboring district. This race between Speaker Mattiello and Barbara Ann Fenton Fung. Um, that's garnering a lot of attention statewide, and it could have pretty significant ramifications. So, just curious, what your your thoughts were on that race? You know, what what the, obviously with some of the headlines too that have been surrounding the speaker, who I know you you worked with, Bob, up at the uh, the assembly. Yeah. Um, 
of course, the, 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 you know, I have a little, uh, I tried to get along with the speaker when I first went to the state house and being a Republican, uh, as nice as you try to be, uh, you're not going to get a lot of help. And, uh, but he, he was personally uh, responsible for taking me out in 2018 with Chris Millay, who was the uh, state house lawyer, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so I, ha I have a, I have a little, not ill feeling, but I'm, I'm not, you know, not a happy camper when it comes to the speaker. Yeah. Um, I, and also, um, when I was fighting hard for the inspector general, um, they beat me up on the floor pretty good. You know, we're going to get a million dollars because that's what we thought the cost of the office would be. And, uh, so they, they, they said, no, we're not going to do that. Right. And what do we find out a few months later? We find out that the speaker, prior to him, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, the former, uh, Frank Montanaro, who was a former District 15, he had been secretly funneling a million dollars a year to Dr. Pedro in Cranston. And as soon as that came to light, he pulled it. And then Marianne reads in the paper a few weeks later, mid-August, Dr. Pedro's going out of business. So he's funneling a million dollars to an unproven medical technology for a Cranston chiropractor instead of giving that million dollars to root out waste, fraud, and abuse mm -hmm. and bring the cost of our budget down. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I have to support Barbara, uh, you know, I have to support Barbara Fenton's phone, uh, honestly. Um, it's, uh, you know, now he's being investigated by the grand jury uh, over the, the money to Dr. Pedro. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and you know the long line of, of uh, Democrats and, and speakers of the House all been, uh, it's like, it reads like a rogues gallery. And in fact, uh, I think Barbara Fenton Funk sent out a mailer. It's a rogues gallery. And how about uh, Ray Gallison, who was the head of finance? He had that fake educational enterprise. He got over $600,000 from the state. And Patricia Morgan, my former minority leader, she didn't have anybody to tell about it 10 years ago. She could have told it to the Office of Inspector General. They could have found that out. But 10 years later, $600,000 down the road. This is the kind of stuff that really I have a hard time with, you know. So I understand that, you know, the, the speaker is supposed to be some kind of a wall, you know, between the progressives and mainline Democrats. But, you know, um, there's enough damage being done one way or another. So I'm not a fan. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Marianne, I guess to, to put a spin on it, you know, one of the speaker's criticisms or pushbacks against Barbara Ann has been, you know, if she's elected, she'll join a, a pretty small Republican caucus at the state house, whereas, you know, he holds the, the lever of power there. Okay. And says he, you know, can take care of Cranston from that spot. Um, it's a different, you know, situation in your district a little bit. But uh, what are your thoughts on, you know, how do you feel Republicans would be positioned in the next term um, if you're if you win and join that caucus? To that's good. That's a really good question. Uh, not anything actually that I've thought about. Hmm. Well, one one thing I think we would say is. Uh, if the speaker was to survive, um, he's going to need friends at the state house. He's probably going to need Republicans to help him get reelected as speaker. Should he survive, Barbara Ann Fentonfong? I'm not so sure he will, but uh, then he'd have to reach out across the aisle to Republicans to hold his power against the progressives. So Marianne and folks like her, fellow Republicans, may become an important cog in uh, in helping him remain the speaker. So. Yeah, might be more factionalized. Yeah, you know, so that's that's where Marianne's uh, might come in should she win and uh, and be in the house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She might be in a position to play part of the power broker. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Another local question I'd ask: the other big race uh, drawing, or one of the other big races drawing eyes from across the state. This race for mayor, uh, Alan Fung leaving after twelve years. Um, 
uh, I assume both of you are supporting Councilman Hopkins. What are your thoughts? Where do you think the voters are heading? Because to me, it seems like it's it's shaping up to be kind of a close race. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, for me personally, uh, you know, uh, Stikos, uh, who is the progressive, and the eastern part of the city has become quite progressive. The uh, they have joined forces with uh, Ms. Bucci, and so that has created it, made it a bit more formidable. But I think the Republicans in the city are united. And I think because of that fact, um, it is my hope and expectation that Ken Hopkins will win. And, uh, and I think he needs to win because of the fact of the progressive wing of the party joining forces with Maria Bucci. That frightens me just as it frightens me on the state level, just as it frightens me on the federal level. I don't know what your thoughts are, Marianne. Yeah, I would agree. The only, the only factor that Bucci has is that she's a female, and it seems like they're promoting a lot of females <laughs> into politics <laughs> this year. It's a diverse slate uh, for council and yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, they're saying so many more women are running this year. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like Did yourself. You, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Had you had you uh, had either of you uh, uh, been supporting? Uh, endorsing either candidate in the Republican primary for mayor? I'm just curious, or were you, uh, had you guys kind of... No, I, I, did the, I did the same thing, and Marianne and I think we both learned that. Um, you know, we always say we will support the winner of the primary, yeah. and we yeah. just stay out of it because we're busy with our own races, and, you know, and we don't want to create any ill will so or hard feelings. Yeah. So, you know, I did the same thing when uh, the mayor ran against Patricia Morgan because one was my minority leader and one was my mayor. So, you know, I don't want to pick sides. What are your thoughts on the, the mayor's legacy? You know, he, he's decided a really significant transition for the city. You know, he's, I don't know if he's the longest serving, but he's certainly among the longest serving mayors in the city's history. Yes, uh, yes, especially with term limits now. Yeah. But, uh, well, I have to say, let's look at his performance just over these last few uh, incidences with this, uh, these protesters. Mm. I, I was mean, out he, there last night. Yeah, know. he protected Garden City, you know, when we had the riot on June 1st in Providence. And again, he's protecting the city now. So I have to you know, give him high marks. Um, plus, he built the tax base. Um, you know, look at Chapel View, Garden City. I mean, done a lot of great things. And we may now, we arguably, might be the second largest city in Rhode Island now versus Warwick. But um, so, yeah, and I just would hope that, you know, Ken can continue uh, in that vein. Uh, it seems, though, uh, you know, when we have a Democrat elected, the Democrat only lasts one term. They usually don't do very well. Mm. I find that fascinating. We had uh, we had uh, what Napolitano, and prior to that, I forget the uh, the other gentleman, O'Leary. O'Leary. They only lasted one term. They didn't do very well. Mm. So, I'm happy with the Republican. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We'll see too if uh, I know the mayor. You know, maybe eyeing 2022 another run for for statewide office. Is that anything that's on your radar? I mean, obviously, you know, uh, planning to win this year certainly, but. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, win or lose, um, you know, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be back. Uh, and uh, I, I, I think uh, I certainly look forward to hearing and seeing what the mayor might want to be doing next. Hmm. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Uh, I guess, uh, oh, I, I did want to ask too, um, both of you, obviously, the, the, this pandemic has affected uh, the, the election and the way it's being conducted. There's been mail ballot applications mailed to all voters. We have this new early voting period that seems to be pretty popular, um, and that's going on right now. Are, how do you feel about how that process, both of those processes are unfolding? Do you have any concerns that, you know, some, some folks have raised concerns over mail balloting, over the integrity of the election? 
Do you, do you share any of those concerns? Miriam? Actually, um, I've just been, haven't been really thinking much about that because whatever, what happens, happens. Mm. But uh, <coughs> I, I did take note that somebody had said, if you bring your, if you notice anything on your uh, ballot, the day of you posting it, uh, anything an initial or a check mark or a, uh, initials or whatever, don't turn that in because it would be denied. Hmm. That was one of the volunteer people from the polls that had put that out, social media. Um, I didn't have any problem voting in the primary. I can with in-person voting, yeah. Yeah, in-person. Yeah. And we've so. got an in-person vote on the third. I think for me personally, I thought they talked about this today on my Zoom call uh, with the North Kingstown High School students. Um, Nellie Gorbea, uh, I was very disappointed that she, uh, back you know, originally in, in, during the primary, she mailed uh, a mail ballot to every citizen in the state. And what, over 200,000 would kick back? Uh, that's alarming. Um, and then she wanted to do the same thing again but the Senate president was just as alarmed, I think, because he said no, because there was so many returned. But uh, she still took it upon herself with federal money to, uh, to send a ballot application for mail-in to everyone uh, without anyone's approval or permission, governor or whatever. Uh, this is one of these examples where, you know, with no one in charge, people are doing, you know, whatever. She says she has the right to do it, fine. But again, clean the voter rolls. I think then I'd have more confidence in the mail-in ballot process. And of course, you've heard this, I'm sure for everybody, this idea of uh, ballot harvesting, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That, that concerns me. Uh, that concerns me a lot. Um, I, I don't think anybody should be allowed, and now they were saying without a, without a, a notary or without signatures or whatever, having candidates pay people to go out and collect ballots, that, that's just wrong. Yeah. That's just wrong. I mean, they go in and say to an elderly person, maybe not, you know what, oh, just yeah, mock this person, this person, this person, I'll take that from you. I mean, that's what's happening. That's what has happened. And uh, we, we, we can't have that. Yeah. I, I would like to see that changed, not allow that, 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 that the person has to say, go to City Hall, maybe somebody has to take them or something to you know, fill out a ballot. But this ballot harvesting, uh, it's, it's not good. Mm -hmm. It's not good. And uh, when you have over 200,000 uh, ballots returned or applications or you know, mailings returned, that's, you know, and people have complained about that. You know, Pat Cortalesa, who's running against Hannah Gallo, mm -hmm. He ran for Secretary of State, and that was one of his big complaints, is you've got to clean the voter rolls, and we haven't done that, yeah. despite what the <laughs> Secretary of State says she's done. She hasn't. It's clear, because otherwise the Senate president wouldn't have been objectionable to what she was doing either, yeah. and he's a different party. Yeah. So, yeah, people you, are not happy. You mentioned Pat. That's, uh, I guess I'd ask generally, you know, this, this election uh, is driving historic turnout. We're, we're already seeing... Are you worried at all about this uh, this blue wave that folks are speculating about? Do you think uh, the, the the local Republican Party can can weather it and make some even make some gains here? Oh, I, I, I think there's a I definitely so I, I think there's a real uh, I think there's a real brushback uh, on incumbents. There's a real brushback uh, uh, against, and they say I'm not voting for incumbents or. Uh, in my case, um, people are saying, Mr. Lancia, you know, uh, your opponent's been in 20 years. He's passed one major bill in 20 years to rename a post office. And uh, we can do better than that. And we think you're the guy that can make that, you know, 
be that change agent. Uh, but and, and that's one of the reasons I'm running too. I'm, I'm very disappointed in, in what he's accomplished in his uh, 20 years. In addition, I wasn't happy about those uh, recent stock trades. You know that he was trading. Uh, Dylan Conley is a primary opponent. Brought it up. You know the TikTok alphabet, and then the uh, his trading stock in his brother's company, who was getting a big USPS contract. And when asked about it, he said, "Maybe I should consider putting my stocks in a blind trust." After 20 years, do you think? Do you think? I mean, that's pretty. You know, not not a good look at all. So I'm not too concerned about a blue wave. I think uh, I think I'm 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 hoping that there's going to be a uh, voter dissatisfaction disfa- dissatisfaction wave, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to benefit us. Yeah, yeah. broader. Yeah, yeah. That change wave, you think? Can exactly. Help. That's what I think the change yeah. wave is. Yeah, voter dissatisfaction with the powers that be. I mean, look at, I mean, irregardless. I mean, people are in office for you know, 20, 30, 40 years. My first bill, every door I go to, you know what they say? Mr. Lancia, please, your first bill, term limits. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely said that is going to be my first bill. Two four-year terms for a House of Representative member, and then two six-year terms for a Senate. Uh, that's what I would like to see. And um, this was supposed to be public service. This was never about lifetime service. And, you know, making these connections with special interests. I mean, just look at Mr. Langevin's list of contributors. I mean, it reads long. And it's all people trying to buy influence. In over 20 years, you stop making deals. How many, how many uh, senators and representatives have gone in as regular people? They come out as multimillionaires. Something's wrong. Something is definitely wrong. So that's my concern. Yeah, it is a big concern. To uh, to wrap up, I guess we're we're less than two weeks out now um, from November 3rd. Obviously, I <coughs> I don't know how soon we're gonna know uh, results that night. It might take a couple of days as with the primary, but. Mm-hmm. What do these uh, What do these final days look like for for the two of you? What's What's the nonstop busy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, it's it's actually interesting because um, you know I, I had these three major initiatives: the twenty stop Lanzer and retirement tour, the uh, Baltimore Bob clinics in Providence, and then my third and final initiative was Bob's Army of five hundred. Five hundred volunteers willing to go drop off fifty flies to their family and friends and ask them to vote for Bob Lanzer. You know and working the district with Marianne, working with her in her district. But basically, Langevin has won nine straight times, 65-35. And it's always been a difference of 25,000 votes. Didn't matter was Mike Riley in 2012 who spent a million dollars or South Cruz or Tears who had no money. So my goal is, well, my goal is to flip 25,000 voters. In Rhode Island, uh, Nate Silva from ESPN, uh, analyst but also a political prognosticator, had said, Rhode Island is the, probably the most flippable state in the nation. And uh, so for 60% of the voters are unaffiliated, 30% Democrat, 10% Republican. Mm-hmm. So I need to flip 25,000 votes. So my idea was Bob's Army of 500. 500 people willing to drop uh, 50 flies to their family and friends, inviting them to vote for me. And more often than not, if they ask, they will. Mm-hmm. So our closing days, we're getting that big push going out on this final uh, day uh, days in Cranston specifically. Uh, I've got people working for me in Warwick and West Warwick and Coventry, and uh, I've got folks working for me in Providence. So uh, I, I definitely think it's going to be 50 plus one. Uh, I don't. I think we're going to win. I think it's going to be 50 plus one. Uh, no one's ever run a real campaign against James Langevin. I'm the first real opponent he's had uh, in 20 years, and I believe uh, people are ready for a change. People seem to be tired of Mr. Langevin, and, and uh, you know I, I think they're ready for change, and I think uh, we're going to we're going to be the beneficiary of that. Well, Bob, Marianne. Good luck. Thank you both so much. And uh, thank you. We'll talk yeah. to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Stay safe. Yeah. Wow.
I'm trying. Radio Beacon is a production of Beacon Communications, publisher of the Warwick Beacon, Cranston Herald, Johnston Sunrise, and Coventry Reminder newspapers. Find us online at warwickonline.com, cranstononline.com, johnstonsunrise.net. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Rodybeat, R-H-O-D-Y-B-E-A-T. This podcast is hosted by Anchor Podcasts. Subscribe today on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or other podcast platforms.